I still have to come across someone, Agnes, who doesn't want to have a better work-life integration. It's a very transversal topic. Welcome to another episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. Each week, we bring you an inspiring guest to help you discover the new world of work and learn how your organization can reach its full potential. Thank you for tuning in and spending some time with us today. To find out more about the Work Life Hub, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uherecki. And today we have a very special guest. I'm really excited and thrilled to have Thais Compoin here with us. Hi, Thais. Hi, Ines. I'm here. Thank you so much for having me in your podcast. It's a real pleasure for me. No, it's a real pleasure for us as well, Thais, to reciprocate your kind invitation because you did invite us in 2017 to your online inclusive leadership conference. And we may be speaking a little bit about that as well later. So Thais is joining us from London and... As a way of introduction, let me just say a couple of words about Thais and how we know each other, and then I'll, I'll just hand over to her. So Thais is the CEO and founder of Declick International, which is a training and consulting company uh, on inclusion and diversity. She's also a speaker, a regular speaker at TEDx events and also other conferences, and she's the host of the Inclusive Ship show. Prior to the Click International, Thais was leading global inclusion and diversity strategies at three Fortune 500 companies, Vinci, Coca-Cola Enterprises, and Cisco. And in 2017, 2018, she's also um, coordinating and running the online inclusive leadership conference which you definitely should check out because they are really world-class speakers. And she's also the author of a book. And maybe we'll get to all of this. So Thais, if I can ask you to please tell listeners a little bit about your passion, your career, your journey. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for such a thorough introduction, Agnes. And maybe just to complete that on a more personal note, so I am, I was born and raised in Brazil. I lived in different countries, in six different countries. I spent many, many years in France, and that's how I became also a French citizen. And I've been living in the UK for the last four years. And I'm really passionate about inclusion and diversity. I've been working in this field for nearly 20 years already. Um, yeah, and my specialty, because inclusion and diversity is a very broad topic, I'm, I'm completely passionate about all aspects of inclusion and diversity, but in particular, inclusive leadership, you know, that's really the, the area that I'm focusing on more, more specifically. Um, and as you mentioned, I wrote a book about this topic. I'm, I'm, I organize a conference, a global virtual conference about this topic. That's really my, my, my true passion. In, in most of my career, I've been in the corporate world, as you mentioned. So I work for different companies in the uh, Vinci, which is uh, I'm, I'm one of the leading construction uh, companies in the world, Coca-Cola, Cisco. And then a couple of years ago, maybe I went through my midlife crisis. 
and I decided that I needed a change. I didn't want to to give up on inclusion and diversity, but I needed to do things in a different way. And that's and that's when I founded my own consultancy uh, here in London. Yeah, and it's been a wonderful journey. I've been accomplishing lots of dreams, like uh, such as you know writing my book, uh, speaking at, at TED talks, uh, events, um, running the, the the inclusive leadership global conference. It's been a great journey, and also working. I, I like this idea of working with different companies uh, in different industries in different parts of the world. So it could be a Latvian bank, a Canadian fund. Uh, pension fund it could be a, a, an American public relations company so my I have clients really from various industries and in, in parts of the world that's great to hear because it also shows that companies and organizations are waking up more and more to the idea of inclusion and diversity um, and this is something that I want to now maybe pick on because you There's a very nice sentence on your website when you say that uh, inclusion and diversity is at the meeting point of profit and purpose, um, which I think is very true. So maybe for the benefit of the listeners who may not be that versed in this topic, what is the business case for diversity and inclusion? And why do you think this topic is growing uh, in importance? Yeah, no, that's a great question and a great question to start our conversation, Agnes. I think there are three key reasons why companies and leaders in general, they should be paying attention more to inclusion and diversity. The very first one, I think, is the fact that I really believe there is a crisis in traditional leadership models nowadays. If you see the studies, most of them, they show that the key reason why uh, people leave organizations is because of the badly relationships with their managers. Uh, it's the key reason for the unhappiness at work. It's, it's the relationship with managers. And the other day I saw this research that showed that even though um, 80-80% of employees consider that they are disengaged by their leaders, 77% percent of leaders believe they are doing a good job at engaging their employees you see so i think there is a need to do things differently and that's why leading people in a more inclusive way including you know, inclusive leadership could be an answer to that uh, crisis in traditional leadership models and the other reason why you should be paying attention more to inclusion and diversity is the fact that there are there is an increasingly robust literature that shows the benefits of having diverse teams and leading them inclus inclusively. So there are benefits in terms of better decision-making, um, increased engagement, increased productivity, increased innovation capacity, uh, better sales, uh, better financial results as well. There is a lot of research that shows, that tells us, you know, I could spend the whole day sharing with you, with you numbers. I can share a, a couple of numbers. For instance, there is a very recent Deloitte study that 
that show that inclusive organizations are six times more innovative, for instance, than non-inclusive organizations. There are studies that show that companies that have diverse teams, they are 45% more likely to capture new markets than companies who don't have uh, as, as much diversity. They are, so there are lots of studies that show, you know, the, 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 the really uh, with pr great proof points about the business case for inclusion and diversity. And the third point, actually, it's the purpose one. I, obviously, inclusion and diversity is also the right thing to do, especially because with all the knowledge that we have about unconscious bias and how our brain works, if, if we are not intentionally including people, we might be excluding people. So for those who are really purpose-driven, Inclusion and diversity is also the right thing to do. And I think this is also part of the business case as well, because um, as you know, most, most of us nowadays, we are part of LinkedIn. And I also saw another research that t t tells us that 37% of LinkedIn users consider themselves to be purpose-driven. They want to have a positive impact in this world. And inclusion and diversity is something that helps people, you know, to have a positive impact in this world. So inclusion and diversity can really also help, you know, a company to attract more talents and specifically more talents who are uh, attracted to this topic nowadays. Great. Well, this is really interesting and, and, and very, very fascinating. And uh, of course, when I, I listen to you, what came to my mind is that um, we are, of course, versed and, and experienced about these topics. And, and, and I think that there's a danger a little bit of assuming that everybody else is when you speak and exchange a lot with like-minded professionals, then you, you think, okay, this is, this is a given, this is everybody gets it now. But I just was reminded how still many organizations are suffering from diversity blindness when just a, a week ago I saw you know the the keynote speakers headlining a, a conference here in Belgium about human resources and it was just white men and you know I look at this picture and then I guess you and some of our listeners also look at these type of pictures and and you know immediately we we have this this knee-jerk reaction to it you know how could you do that but there's still a lot of organizations who don't know, right? Who don't realize yet that this is a problem, this is an issue. Yeah, that's such a great point because I, I really think that there are different maturity levels when it comes to inclusion and diversity. And so for some organizations, it's a known topic yet, you know, some organizations have missed all the all the information you know about inclusion and diversity so yeah i i think it's a it's a very important point you were raising the fact that when we are as experts when we are talking about inclusion and diversity inclusive leadership actually we are talking to people who have different levels of familiarity with the topic it might be missing really basic points about um about it yeah it's it's true what do you think are some of the key ingredients of a successful inclusion and diversity strategy or a team or a department or a program? So what do organizations need to consider when they're either setting it up from scratch or, or wanting to go even further and 
and improve on some of their outcomes. Yeah, so I, I really think that when you are, if you want to make progress in this in this inclusion and diversity journey as an organization, the very first point is that you've got to be systemic. And in order to be systemic, I really think you have to to tackle different pillars. You know, I call them, I, I have this model that I call the four pillar strategic model for inclusion and diversity. You really have to look at how you are making people accountable around the topic. You also have to raise people uh, skills in education about the topic. Like people have to feel responsible for it, but they also have to understand what are the expected behaviors from them. Whether you know whether you are a leader, a HR person, an an individual contributor, then you have to look at your systems and processes in place, the corporate culture. And I think the the fourth pillar is really how you connect with people also outside the company because we don't live in isolation. To make progress in in this in, in this area, you really have to to connect with important stakeholders also outside outside the company. But uh, the reason why I'm, I'm briefly describing to you this this four-pillar model, um, Agnes, is because you mentioned the word programs. And I think one of the key mistakes that companies make is to tackle inclusion and diversity in a very programmatic way. Like, let's make a, let's do something about it. Let's set up an, an employee network. Let's set up a, a leadership program for women. And let's set up a few programs. Let's do um, an inclusion and diversity awareness week. And it becomes very programmatic, but it's not very systemic. You are not really changing completely the, the way the organization does things. So it's not that programs are... Are, there's nothing wrong with setting up programs, but it's important that they are really part of this more systemic uh, strategy around inclusion and diversity. So, if I if I may give you you know some more concrete details by what I mean by strategic, do you know where you are? Have you know, have you have you looked at your numbers at at your employee such engagement surveys? Do you know what are the problems and what are your strengths? Because sometimes just uh, mimicking what other companies are doing might not be tackling the real issues with your within your organization. So having a very good diagnostics of where you are and then setting up a, a strategic action plan that is sponsored, preferably, you know, at the highest levels of the organization, uh, you know, by your CEO, by your executive committee, having that strategic plan and then checking when i what i mean by accountability is do the, do these people do they have individual performance um objectives related to that strategic plan that is obviously the the dni plan in itself is related to the business plan of the organization and to the people's plan how how does everything interlinks with each other do I do people have their own individual objectives? Are you tracking which KPIs are you using to track progress? You know, so it, that's the accountability part. If the accountability is not there, how can you make really progress in this area? But the accountability part is not enough. You also have to build people's skills so that people know what they are supposed to do. And you do this with trainings and not just one shot trainings. You have to be uh, very um 
how can I say, it's about really embedding, you know, for instance, when it comes to inclusive leadership, the, the, the leadership behaviors to attract and engage people with different backgrounds, you could have a, an inclusive leadership program, but, you know, even a better choice is to make sure that your existing leadership programs are embedding elements of inclusive leadership within them. You know, it's making sure that when you are onboarding people, you are also raising people awareness about what is inclusion and diversity and how can everybody play a, a, a role when it comes to creating, contributing to a more inclusive culture. So it's really uh, finding all the touch points where you can raise people awareness and also build their skills so that they, everybody can contribute to a more inclusive organization. And then when it comes to processes and you know the work environment, it's really important to review all HR processes, you know, your employer brand, how you are hiring people, how you are promoting people, how you are rewarding people, to review all processes to make sure that they are really as as much the biased as they could be. And so it, it's a long answer, you know, to your question. And yes, but I, you know, it's th th those types of things that I'm I'm referring to. And also when it comes to the connection pillar is, you know, who are you? Uh, with which universities are you are you in contact with? You know, are you making sure that the the fact that universities have a very diverse from you know from a cultural but also from a, a social background uh, is that a criteria when you select partners outside the company, for instance, for your graduate programs? You know, so it's it's lots of little actions that you, you, you should um, make, put in place, that you should implement in a very systemic way. And then you have to be patient because change doesn't come overnight. You know, you really have to uh, carry on, carry on, and then it, it, it pays, but you need to be a little bit patient. Uh, it's not in a quarter that you will be able to see, you know, really significant change in terms of diversity or in terms of inclusion. Hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, well, thank you for going into so much detail because there's a lot of value there and and I think a lot of very, very important points. And, and I totally agree with you that if um, employees are bombarded with a number of disjointed projects or programs, then they may become cynical and they don't really understand how this connects together, how this connects to them, how this connects to the purpose of the organization. Is it just another flavor of the month uh, type of exercise and that it needs to be very systemic. And, and I, I really appreciate that you started with this accountability because sometimes we meet with, you know, very, very passionate, but also very frustrated diversity managers who have all of this on their own shoulders and they're the ones who have to drive, they're the ones who have to implement and report and and there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, accountability then spread out across the organization or even to leadership. Is this something that you may have also experienced? Yes, it's something that I've experienced myself, you know, when I was Know, uh, uh, leading the inclusion and diversity agendas from within the organizations, in lots of my clients are in that position today. I think being the the person who's leading the the, the diversity and inclusion agenda, it's not an easy job. You really have to to have a lot of 
passion and conviction and resilience because yeah for many people it's a topic that doesn't exist so it's competing with other topics and I, I really think that most of the times it's not that people they don't want to support diversity and inclusion it's it's a matter of priority really people are so overwhelmed by so many you know competing issues and then they have their core businesses to look after as well it's not easy it, it's not it's not an easy job but it's it's great when you see that um over time you start to get results and i really think my my advice for diversity and inclusion practitioners you know that i lead in the agenda from within organizations is that having in mind that you, you there's nothing you can accomplish by yourself it's really accomplishing through others in finding the right sponsors you know, looking for the right sponsors wherever you can, you know, even the sponsors outside the organization. I know some some very smart DNI practitioners who will look for um, uh, for allies, you know, within the, their, their own company's clients, you know, because when you say the, it's important for the client, that's a way also to bring the attention to your topic within your organization. Um, yeah, but now I, what I can see as well is that many companies, they have very small teams of diversity and inclusion, you know, fully dedicated diversity and inclusion people. And in some companies have, it, it's pretty rare, but some companies have huge uh, uh, diversity and inclusion teams, which I don't think always is also the right answer, you know, uh, because what I've noticed as well is that sometimes when diversity and inclusion teams are very big, they have lots of resources, but they start working in silos. And at the end of the day, I think what we, everyone working in diversity and inclusion, and that's really my goal as well, it's kind of we are working towards our own extinction, you know, what we want is that the topic becomes so much embedded into the fabric of, of what we do in everyday life that at some point there won't be any need for any specific programs and initiatives. We are still very far you know, from that ideal, but I think that should be our goal really, to, to work towards to this mainstreaming of inclusion and diversity. Absolutely. No, that's very, very interesting. Now, before you mentioned also, you touched a little bit upon the different levels of maturity of organizations uh, towards inclusion and diversity, and some are just at the very beginning and merely just looking at compliance, and others who have set up departments, who are running um, strategies, who are making progress also within KPIs and mainstreaming diversity and inclusion throughout their business are already at a very high level of maturity, but where do you see are we now uh, in this area? Because I participated uh, two weeks ago at the Belgian um, Association of Diversity Managers conference, and there were lots of different issues that came up. Some of them are more rewarding and more you know, pleasant issues than others, and some are really difficult issues. For example, religious diversity was one of them, but in some companies also LGBT issues are, are quite a challenge to, to at least get, get started. So where do you see is the current state of affairs? What are perhaps the issues that are now more accepted and, and tackled 
across the board and some of the organizations that are still, you know, very challenged by some issues? Um, yeah, that's a great question. You see, I, I think most organizations, they start with gender balance, gender diversity. We've been talking so much about gender diversity, but maybe because sometimes we don't do things in the right way, we are not getting the results, and then we start to get this gender fatigue around gender diversity issues. And what I see now is that you know, recently, you know, because of Harvey Weinstein's case, and um, we we realized that actually we are, we are not done with inclusion, uh, with diversity, oh, sorry, with gender balance. We still have to carry on working on gender balance. We, you know, recently in the UK, for instance, there is a new legislation to, to be transparent about um, the gender pay gap. In the gaps are, made, are really incredible. You know, some organizations they have huge, huge gaps. And on average, you can really see that the whole country has a problem. I, I, I can only imagine that the same is happening throughout Europe and even throughout the world. So, gender, I, what I see is that some, you know, I've been to some meetings, for instance, not uh, maybe last year, I was in a meeting also in Brussels, Agnes, by the way, where a human resources director had told me, that was the beginning of last year, she had told me, you know, we've gone beyond gender diversity. We are now covering diversity in personality types. And, and then I asked her, have you really gone beyond this topic? Because it's very rare organization that has gender balanced teams across the board, you know, at different levels, hierarchical levels and, and at different areas of the organization. And she was very far, actually, from that gender balance in terms of numbers. But she already considered that she was beyond that. So I th the reason why I'm telling you this story is that there is this risk that sometimes organizations think they have to move forward. Um, in, in, in let go of gender diversity. I really think that, um, you know, that said, the more an organization tackles this more, um, how can I say, this more explicit uh, dimensions, you know, uh, of inclusion and diversity, such as gender, maybe age diversity, uh, disability, well, when it comes to, you know, vis visible vis disabilities. In some countries, there is a lot of legislation that, favors uh, this work. I can think of France, for instance, you know, on, on disability issues. Then companies are, the more mature they are, the more they tend to go more towards the, the less visible uh, aspects, uh, dimensions of diversity and inclusion. And that, that tends to be LGBT, religious diversity. Um, I can see also, you know, I've developed recently a, a workshop on how to, to engage extroverts and introverts. And that tends to be a topic that I can see there is a, a, a lot of interest by companies nowadays but companies that have been on this inclusion and diverse journey for quite a while. So I can I, I see this trend, you know, towards more uh, less visible dimensions of uh, inclusion and diversity, knowing that, you know, I really think that across the board, there is still uh, progress that needs to be made. And maybe just in terms of trends, I think... Um, because there are so many different diversity uh, dimensions that more and more also companies that are more um, advanced in this topic, they focus more on the inclusion aspect of 
inclusion and diversity, meaning that what really matters is this culture that makes everybody feels welcomed and free to be themselves, no matter how how different they are uh, from the majority in that organization. So a way to go to cut across all the different diversity dimensions is really to focus more on the inclusion aspects of a, of a strategy. Which is also a harder not to crack, I imagine, because it's relatively easy to keep track of diversity um, performance, I guess, but then the inclusion is much more difficult to measure and to capture. You really need to create uh, create this kind of psychological safety where people can at least even share um, whether they feel included or whether they have experienced exclusion or harassment or bullying or stigmatization. So I, I can totally see that that's a more mature level when organizations start talking about that. Yeah, but well, that said, and yes, I really think that sometimes we are, we already have, well, depends on how sophisticated is your um, analytics, uh, you know, your the, the data that you have within your organization. But I, I really think that there is already a lot of information that you can um, measure around inclusion without having to create new indicators. Can I give you some examples? Yes, please. For instance, most organizations nowadays, they have engagement surveys, right? A, A very valuable piece of information I found when it comes to inclusion is analyzing that data broken down by gender, by age, by uh, maybe, well, it depends on how you are capturing that information. Some organizations, they ask employees to uh, self-declare, you know, about their, maybe their religion, maybe their uh, sexual orientation, their disability status. And then you can analyze that information breaking down, breaking it down by different demographics. And when you do that, you can really identify whether or not some groups feel as much included as other groups. Do you see what I mean? You can do this by age, you can do this by gender. I think this is a very powerful measure of inclusion. And also some engagement surveys, they will have specific questions about inclusion and diversity. Uh, that you can use about respect as well about fairness in just to finish on this metrics part about inclusion because inclusion is really how people feel you know how can you measure gaps in this area I think while when it comes to diversity we look a lot at hiring numbers when it comes to inclusion looking at who's leaving the organization especially the voluntary departure rates by 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 demographics, that's also a great um, way to measure inclusion in an in an organization. Well, I think that's a really great takeaway already from this conversation for listeners that perhaps they only need to tweak a little bit their existing engagement surveys and look at it if they are really capturing data by gender or by other. Um, other characteristics of the respondents and if not then maybe think about including some of that kind of information so that when you know the next one rolls around they will have maybe more indicators that they can also use for the D&I piece of work exactly now 
maybe because you already said, you know, we, we were just talking about inclusion and we were talking about safety and for people to bring their whole selves to work. And that's, of course, a large part of what we do at the Work-Life Hub, uh, more linked to work-life balance, work-life integration. So where do you see work-life integration fitting with diversity and inclusion? How, how do these two connect? Oh, I really think that work-life integration, well, it is include, well, people, including people is taking into account people's different behaviors, different needs, different opinions. And when it comes to different needs, People at different stages of their lives, they have different needs when it comes to work-life integration. So I really think that work-life integration is a great way to include people. <coughs> Sorry, taking into account that. The other, uh, the other way in which it really, uh, the two topics are really interconnected is the fact that I really think that when you work on work-life integration, you this has a ripple effect on so many other inclusion and diversity dimensions, you see? Because when you, if you're working on work-life integration, this is a good thing for working mothers, for working parents, for, uh, for the sandwich generation, people who have to look after their children and, the, and their, their parents as well. You know that when it comes to disability, and also when it comes to religion, one of the most asked accommodations, it is flexibility when it comes to their, their working hours. So this is great for, for uh, also for in disability inclusion and religion inclusion. And also people from different generations for different reasons, they also have, uh, I'd say that the work-life integration is a very... A lot. I I don't have. I don't know. I I still have to come across someone, Agnes, who doesn't want to have a better work-life integration. It's a very transversal topic, but you know. Uh, so it it it's. Yeah, I really think that if you want to make progress when it comes to inclusion and diversity, work-life integration has definitely to be one of the pillars that you work on. Mm, yes, absolutely. I I totally agree. Now, because the time is running always a bit too fast here on the podcast, before we go to our last question, can I ask you, Thais, to tell listeners where and how they can get in touch with you, where and how they can find out more about your work? Oh, yes, sure. So you can visit my website. It's www.theclickinternational.com. So D-E-C-L-I-C international.com so that's my website where you can see all the innovative you know solutions that i offer speaking training and strategic um, consulting solutions and i'm super active on linkedin uh, so you can check on my profile and connect with me on linkedin thais compoin in linkedin and twitter as well great thank you so much for that now coming to the last question which is always the same here on the work life podcast if I can ask you, Thais, for one advice that you would give to a CEO about inclusion and diversity, what would come to your mind as being a foundational advice or most important thing that you would like to share? Yeah, well, that's, that's such an important question. It's a hard one to answer. If I have to pick just one thing, 
I guess. But if I if I have to pick just one thing, I I to me it would be you know if you want your organization to progress on this journey, you have to really show that you are you are sponsoring this topic at all levels. So you have to make inclusion and diversity part of the agenda all the time during your meetings uh during your leadership conventions when you are meeting you know different uh, senior leaders in your organization make inclusion and diversity part part of your conversations so that you can show to everyone that you care about it that it's important to you that's that's how you can signal you know to the rest of the organization that that's important for them as well and that's how, and that's I think it's a very powerful way to drive change, to drive first interest around the topic, curiosity, interest, and then change and action, really. Absolutely. No, that's such a great advice. Really appreciate it, and really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Thais, and sharing so generously your insight and and all your knowledge about inclusion and diversity. So thank you very much and I wish you really the best of success in your work. Oh, thank you. And yes, it's been a pleasure, you know, to, to have this conversation with you. And thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. All the best to you.